Welcome to the Autoimmune Wellness Podcast, a complimentary resource for those on the road to recovery. I'm Mickey Trescott, a nutritional therapy practitioner living well with autoimmune disease in Oregon. I've got both Hashimoto's and celiac disease. And I'm Angie Alt, a certified health coach and nutritional therapy consultant, also living well with autoimmune disease in Maryland. I have endometriosis, lichen sclerosis, and celiac disease. After recovering our health by combining the best of conventional medicine with effective and natural dietary and lifestyle interventions, Mickey and I started blogging at autoimmune-paleo.com, where our collective mission is seeking wellness and building community. This podcast is sponsored by the Autoimmune Wellness Handbook, our co-authored guide to living well with chronic illness. We saw the need for a comprehensive resource that goes beyond nutrition to connect savvy patients just like you to the resources they need to achieve vibrant health. Through the use of self-assessments, checklists, handy guides, and templates, you get to experience the joy of discovery, finding out which areas to prioritize on your healing journey. Pick up a copy wherever books are sold. A quick disclaimer, the content in this podcast is intended as general information only and is not to be substituted for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. On to the podcast. Welcome back to the Autoimmune Wellness Podcast. This is episode eight, rest. So some of you guys might be surprised about our topic today, especially with our go-go culture. The topic of rest might seem like it's being presented rather early in our podcasting journey with you, but we'd argue that this is nearly as important as what you eat in achieving wellness with autoimmune disease. Chris Kresser says it best, improving the quality, duration, and timing of your sleep is one of the single most powerful interventions you can make to improve your health. The evaluation and improvement of your sleep is a meaningful and necessary step in managing your chronic illness. Angie and I are going to share today our experiences with tackling this important area of wellness. How's it going today, Angie? It's good. I'm I'm ready to talk about sleep with everybody. Awesome. Yeah, me too. This is one of my favorite topics just because it's been really transformational for me dialing sleep in, but it's also been, uh, as you guys will hear, a really long and difficult road. Yeah. I would say that dialing in sleep is one of the more challenging aspects of this healing process. For sure. So, Nikki, why don't you tell us a little bit about what it was like when you were getting suboptimal sleep, like where you were at and what was going on that was making it so tough? Yeah. So right before my diagnosis, I worked as a barista and I got obviously suboptimal sleep because I had to be at work at 445 every morning. So I woke up at 315, 330. Um, and then I rode my bike to work in the dark and I did this for many years. So my body was really used to this pattern of being jolted awake in the middle of the night, no matter what kind of bedtime I had the night before. And by the end, when I started getting sick, I started caring more about my health. I, I knew that sleep was important. But I didn't really have the tools to actually implement a good, healthy sleep routine. So it was not possible for me to go to bed before maybe 10 p.m. To add to that, I was experiencing insomnia uh, related to my autoimmune disease, which I was later diagnosed with. So I'm not surprised that during my health crisis, I came into it with some severe sleep issues, um, having chronically being very low on sleep. And then once I got fired from my job 
because I couldn't work, I swung to the other end of the spectrum where I was sleeping 12 hours, sometimes 14 hours a day, and I was feeling tired and not rested and like I still needed naps. So I've been on both ends of the spectrum and really just feeling like your brain doesn't work, feeling like you don't have energy, that there's lots of aches and pains. Um, the brain fog is huge for me with not sleeping right. And and I got it with not having a lot of sleep and I got it with having too much, not high enough quality sleep. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. what about you, Angie? Yeah, you know, it was awful <laughs> when I was in kind of that low point with my health and, and my sleep. You know, uh, anxiety and panic were a big part of the symptoms that I experienced with my disease, especially pre-diagnosis. You know, I was getting more and more malnourished with celiac disease and, and, you know, that malnourishment, lacking some of those important vitamins and minerals was leading to worse and worse mental and emotional health. And this would be particularly hard for me at night. I would wake up consistently, you know, several times a night just in sheer panic. I was often sweating. Sometimes I was shaking. And I would lay there thinking to myself, oh, my God, I think I'm going to die. You know, I would lay there being afraid that literally death was on my doorstep. And it was just awful. You know, I was just, I was terrified and I just could not sleep well. The quality of my sleep when I was falling asleep was just really poor, you know, and then I would get up in the morning and I would just feel like a zombie. I would get up and maybe I would be up for a few hours and, you know, within an hour to two hours, I was ready to go back to bed. I would want to go back and lay down and I would have to nap several times a day to try to make up for how bad it was at night and, yeah, it was the worst. <laughs> yeah, we could we could probably go on and on. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I know that feeling well, like waking up and then after like a lot of sleep and then being like, you know what? I think I'm going to go right back to bed. I'm going to go back to bed, <laughs> right. You know, at the time um, I was living in West Africa and we had a housekeeper, this good friend of ours, Nancy, and I would get up to help my husband and daughter get out the door, you know, get her off to school, get my husband off to work. And then within an hour or two, uh, even after drinking coffee, I would need to go back to bed. And my housekeeper would say to me, oh, madame, what's wrong with you? You know, she was really, she was really worried about it. And I was like, oh, I just need a nap, Nancy. It'll be fine. You know, but she saw even that something Mm -hmm. was not okay. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And Angie, how much of your sleep disturbances do you think was related to symptoms of your autoimmune disease? Uh, very much. It was really definitely related. Um, uh, one of the things that was happening to me is that I was starting to have peripheral neuropathy. I was having a lot of tingling and problems in my um, fingers and lower parts of my arms and in my legs, especially my legs. It was kind of painful and really uncomfortable. And I also was often lightheaded, even laying down, and I had trouble with blood pressure. So sometimes I would wake up because I was dizzy in my sleep, um, which was a really disconcerting and upsetting feeling, you know, um, very related. I've definitely experienced that blood pressure stuff when you're sitting down. And when I tell doctors about it, they're like, that's not supposed to happen. Like you're sitting down, you're fine. You're sitting down or you're laying down. Don't worry about it. But it's like, if this is happening to me when I'm laying down, like 
what's going to happen. Like, you know, yeah. And that burning pain, you actually reminded me I had that too. I had the neuropathy going up my legs and I had burning pain all the way up to my knees that kept me awake at night. And yeah, uh, and it was horrible. Yeah, it was really, it was terrible. Sometimes I would have the sensation that the bed was kind of like rocking, like as though I was on the sea. (laughs) Oh gosh. Um, It was just a terrible, terrible feeling, you know, and you would think like you knew it wasn't normal, but you didn't understand what was happening, you know? Yeah. Symptoms of the disease preventing sleep, definitely real, you know, and I'm, Mm -hmm. I'm sure for the folks that suffer from like rheumatoid arthritis, for instance, or ankylosing spondylitis, you know, diseases that have a lot of pain, I'm sure the pain itself is keeping them awake, you know, it's, it's really tough. Mm hmm. So what did you do in the beginning to start troubleshooting your sleep? And what was like the big breakthrough for you of all the things you tried? So in the beginning, I worked with a functional medicine trained naturopath, which, you know, I say in the beginning, but this was probably about nine months after my diagnosis. And and so not, not very in the beginning, but in the beginning of actually thinking that sleep was an issue. And we did a neurotransmitter test and I came up very low in serotonin. And so she prescribed some supplements to boost my serotonin, which really helped very quickly with sleep. And, you know, my body slurped it all up. And then I just started dreaming. I hadn't had dreams in a very long time. I started being able to fall asleep easier. I started uh, staying asleep more. So back then, I definitely was waking up still during the night, but I would wake up maybe once and fall back asleep. Um, Whereas before I would sometimes wake up and never go back to sleep. Sometimes I would wake up and go back to sleep three or four times. So that was a really incredible experience. And actually looking back on all the supplements I've tried, this was one of the times that I actually took something and the day I took it, I noticed (laughs) something changing. You know how many times we take supplements and it's like you expect a miracle and you're just kind of like, eh, I don't know. Yeah, you're like three months later, (laughs) is this working? Yeah. And, And I think it's because, you know, I had a test and the test showed that I was functionally low in something and, you know, we supplied my body with the thing that... Uh, needed to be produced. And, you know, it kind of set me off. You know, the story is not I take that supplement for the rest of my life. But what ended up happening after uh, a few months, the supplement started not being as effective. And I started to realize that my sleep issues were tied to some other stuff. You know, I started getting into maybe I need a earlier bedtime and circadian rhythm and and what is that and why would I want to go to bed soon after dark and wake up more with the sun and you know why I would want to manage my stress during the day so I could sleep better at night so I started to kind of get into uh, the autoimmune protocol the ancestral health movement and kind of realizing all of these other lifestyle things that you can do to troubleshoot sleep so while the the supplement functioned as kind of a crutch in the beginning Um, By a few months in, I realized that my lifestyle was actually the one that was driving the sleep issues. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of the short story. Mm -hmm. What about you, Angie? What in the beginning, what was the thing that really impacted your sleep? Mine's kind of like yours. It wasn't maybe the beginning, the beginning, maybe about a year or so into my process. I worked with a nutritionist short term that I had been referred to through my functional medicine doctor. And she was the first person that I ever worked with that said to me, you know, 
I think what's happening at night is that your blood sugar is dropping and you need to eat a little bit right before you go to bed. And it should probably include some fat and maybe a little bit of protein, you know, and we need to make sure that your dinner has enough carbohydrate. And she was the first one that kind of helped me understand how some of these macronutrients were going to play into good sleep. And so I started eating a little bit right before bed and it helped me not have those like shocking, you know, waking up at two, three, four o'clock in the morning, panicked, sweating, you know, kind of thinking I was going to die. That was a blood sugar crash. Mm -hmm. So that was kind of the big thing that helped me finally start making it through the night, um, being able to sleep well. And then, yeah, I had sort of the same experience as you. Over time, I started learning more and more, and I realized that it was lifestyle stuff that was really the driver behind the remaining sleep trouble I was having, things like falling asleep, things like sleeping more deeply, and I had to start making some lifestyle changes to help with that stuff. Hmm. Angie, how have you progressed along, you know, your sleep journey? Because I know both of us chatted a little bit before we got on here and and we know each other pretty well. And sleep is a really hard thing to manage. Even at this point, I think diet, as confusing as it sounds, you know, with the elimination diet and everything, it's actually pretty easy. Once you regain your health through food, you're very motivated to stay on track and eat what you know makes you feel good. But sleep is not that easy, right? Right. It's, it's kind of one of those things that, I mean, we're constantly troubleshooting. So where are you at with that? Like, how has that evolved for you and and where are you at now? I think now for the most part, my sleep is generally pretty good. You know, I usually get eight or nine hours a night and I stay asleep. I dream, you know, I know that it's good quality, deep sleep. For the most part, I, you know, have a good routine in place. But when I struggle, it's because I didn't stick to the routine. I didn't take the right sleep hygiene steps. You know, it's things like um, not having exposure to blue light, you know, not sitting there and scrolling on my iPad in bed or, you know, using the computer right up until the second I fall into the bed, you know, half dead from work. It's things like not getting any blue light exposure in the morning by getting outside and like looking at the sky and and being in the sun, you know, easy to do in the winter, huh? (laughs) Right. So it's those kind of things that mess me up and throw me off. Now, my routine now is kind of like, um, usually, I try to shut down work by 6pm. And I try to be off devices by around 8pm, even if it's, you know, pleasure. I try to be off of the devices by then. We usually try to have lights out by 10 o'clock. Sometimes I do a little bit of reading in bed before that, but I try not to read on devices anymore. Sometimes I use the orange glasses at night to help with exposure even after I've shut down devices and stuff. We try to spend a lot of time together as a family in the evening, kind of cuddling and snuggling and trying to connect and turn on those uh, you know, the oxytocin and those other nice neurotransmitters and hormones and everything in our bodies and that are calming. Yeah, that's kind of what my routine's like now. How has it been, Angie, with, you know, your husband and your teenage daughter just kind of trying to get them to go with your routine? Because I know that's probably something a lot of people struggle with is having a family that maybe they, you know, you're already kind of putting them through the ringer with the diet stuff. (laughs) Um, (laughs) 
how, how do you get them to be on the same page with that? Because I can't imagine with a teenager, that's probably pretty tough. Yeah, so that's that's actually probably a really good question. Things for folks to think about. So I'm pretty lucky. My husband's pretty on board. You know, he gets it. He's a pretty driven guy. He has a pretty busy career, and he has to be up and at him pretty early. So he's like, oh yeah, let's whatever it takes to sleep well. Let's do that. He was totally down with buying like blackout curtains for our bedroom and and you know all kinds of stuff like that. My daughter, on the other hand, you know, if, if folks take a look at our book, they'll see in chapter four that we go through uh, shifts in sleep over a lifetime, um, you know, and just like when we have infants, babies who are having trouble sleeping through the night, they don't really quite have the cues. Teenagers have trouble with this too. And so for a while, I tried really hard, like tooth and nail, trying to get her to, you know, go with the same sleep pattern as the rest of the household. But then I realized, you know, she's just, she's in a biological thing that I can't outdo right now. So I just do my best to encourage her to get good sleep and encourage her to make up for sleep as best she can. You know, sometimes you can't really repay that sleep debt, but do the best I can to help her get extra sleep on the weekends and everything. And then I just try to let it go. I have to shut my door and like block the crack at the bottom so I don't see any light. And I tell her to keep her, keep her music down. And yeah, yeah, that's kind of the best you can do. It's funny because we kind of think of struggles with sleep being only about new parents, that new parents are struggling with sleep, but actually parents with teenagers struggle a lot too. Hmm. How about you, Mickey? What is your routine like now? And is it easy to go along with with your husband? Yeah, so sleep is is an area I will be totally upfront. It's something that I still struggle with time and again. It's not a constant struggle, but when it's good, it's blissfully amazing. And every day I wake up with abounding energy. I don't drink any caffeine because it makes me too hyper. And, and I just have, you know, this abundant energy that I'm super grateful for. Um, and when it's time to go to bed, I'm ready to go to bed. I fall asleep and it's it's great. Um, when it's not great, which, you know, I, I go through cycles of insomnia and I know that they are driven primarily by stress. Mm-hmm. And I live on a farm and, you know, being a blogger and an author is a little bit of a uh, how do I say, you know, it's all, there's always something between those (laughs) two, you know, if, if things are going really well with work, there's an injured horse that needs my attention or, you know, and, and I just, I care so much about what I do and the people and the animals around me that I just get, I get really wrapped up in whatever is going on. I can be really intense. So, you know, like six weeks ago or so, I had a bout of insomnia that lasted a few weeks and I was... Yeah, you were kind of wrecked, Mick. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Angie, Angie had to deal with me every day um, as we were working on our book together. And, uh, and you know, every day I got on a call and was like, Angie, I can't, I, you know, four hours, like, I don't know, <laughs> like, I'm so sorry. Um, and I was doing all the things and things weren't really working. Um, but the thing that I wasn't really doing was looking at the big picture of what actually was stressing me out. And the day that actually it wasn't a day, it was a night at 3.30 in the morning, to be exact. I got out of bed one night when I couldn't sleep and I sat down and I wrote down all of the things that I was thinking about and worried about. And from that moment on, I've been fine, <laughs> you know? So it was almost, you know, I know now what 
causes me to not sleep and it's actually not that difficult for me to fix it. It just takes some work and some objective delegating like and and reframing. That's a really big one. Like, oh, my horse tore his tendon. This is going to take nine months. Like, sorry. I just have to accept the fact that it's going to take that long and I'm not going to wake up anymore in the middle of the night being upset by, you know, whatever happens. The other thing that I learned is there are a couple things for me that are like triggers for like setting the tone and meditation. While meditation is something that I don't gravitate towards, I think that's common with people that are like me that need meditation, don't want to do it because it's hard. When I meditate for 20 minutes right before I go to bed, I notice that I start sleeping through the whole night. So that meditation, not only does it help me fall asleep really quickly, but I actually, I went through a period where, you know, I was waking up at two or three in the morning every single day and not falling back asleep. And then I I sat down, I wrote down all the stuff that I was worried about. And then I started doing meditation every single night. I'm going to do this and and meditation right before bed is part of it. And then I fell asleep and slept through the night. I mean, it's been six weeks. I haven't had one day where I've woke up in the middle of the night. Yeah, that's kind of a long story, but I still struggle with sleep. I know, you know, how to get to the bottom of it. My routine now You know, like I said, the meditation, I will be honest, I don't do it every night. But when I feel a little bit wound up with what's going on in my work and personal life, I do it. Mm -hmm. Um, Some other things that I do, uh, like you, Angie, I really start to slow down in the evening. So when I quit work, I don't work anymore. You know, I don't check my email. I never check email on my phone, actually, before or after work. I don't check social media you know, I put my phone in the phone zone and I turn it off. And and I know that that is a primary source of stress for me because of my personality type. And so I've learned that just keeping it away from me really helps, you know. If I use screens at night, you know, sometimes my husband and I will watch a show just to wind down. I'll wear the amber glasses. But to be honest, watching a show kind of near bedtime is a recipe for not great sleep for me. So if we do that, we try to do it a little bit earlier, like right after dinner, 6.30 to 7.30. I'm trying not to be watching anything after 8. And I like to be in bed by 9, which is really early, but I know it takes me at least an hour to fall asleep on good nights. So I aim to be sleeping at 10. Um, and, you know, we do the whole comfy, quiet bedroom, diffuse some essential oils, blackout shades. I don't have the teenager element um, and my and my husband is is very much on board. He likes to rise with the sun, and you know he has all kinds of stuff that he does on the farm. So he's also not hard to get on board. Yeah, that's kind of the routine. I think it's it feels a little unnatural at first, but over time it feels like a normal winding down to your day. You know, if we were living a hundred years ago, they would have probably in many ways very similar routine. Yeah, they wouldn't be going to the 24-hour fitness to do their workout. Right, and they wouldn't be getting on the iPad to scroll social media for an hour, you know. It would be a lot of kind of quiet family time and winding down with the sun. Mm -hmm. So that kind of brings me to another question, Mickey. We have a big challenge that we're up against because our cultural setting does not support sleep. Nope. How do you deal with that? How do you, in your personal life, how do you deal with this cultural setting that says, go, 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 you can sleep when you're dead? 
You know, it's really hard to make peace with that. I used to live in the city, so I moved from Seattle out to rural Oregon, and a primary reason was just that disconnect between city life and country life. Out here, it's harder to find community, but the things that I do with my friends and with my family members who live in the area are much more focused on activities during the day, and you know, like I'll go to my uncle's farm and I'll help work in his vineyard. Um, We're not really socializing late at night. And that works for this situation, but it's very hard uh, for me to get that kind of quality social time with people in my age. You know, I'm 30 mm-hmm. uh, because most of them are in the bars mm-hmm. in the city, you know, way past my bedtime. Mm-hmm. And so that has been definitely very difficult. And what I would say is that it's not like I never get out. I go to the city. I hang out and I'm not out at two in the morning. (laughs) Right. But, um, you know, I make an effort to do things that are fun and give me that experience of connection and joy. But I also put my health at the forefront. Mm -hmm. That's very important to me. So for example, uh, I had a friend come to visit two weeks ago and she was very interested in like the bar scene in Portland and wanted to go out And so I went to Portland and I stayed for the weekend. Um, I didn't choose to stay with this friend because I knew that she was going to be out late. And what we did was we went out to dinner. Um, We went out for one drink afterwards. And I went back to my place at 930, 10 o'clock. And I got my, you know, pretty optimal sleep. And she went out and partied with some other people that she knew. And then we reconnected on the next day and we went out for brunch. And, you know, it was fine. I felt like I had a fun weekend in the city, you know. Um, (laughs) And I didn't really have to participate with the, you know, staying up all night. Because for a while, I tried that every once in a while. And I just realized that it, it it didn't make me feel good and not feeling good isn't worth it. So everyone can make their own choice, like how much that impacts them. But it's not worth a week of trying to get back on track for like one night of fun. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. What about you, Angie? You know, kind of where getting the rest I need comes up against the cultural struggles. It's more to do with professional life and work than with uh, socializing. And that's probably a little bit to do with the stage of life that I'm in, right? Like, Mm -hmm. so I'm in my late 30s and I have a teenager, you know, it's more like family life. So the, the bar scene and all of that isn't such a pull. But professionally, it's really hard especially working for myself to set boundaries and say, like, I'm not gonna stay up all night trying to get all the things done, right? Mm -hmm. Like, my to do list is three pages long, and I'm gonna try to accomplish half of it and stay up till midnight, you know, Mm -hmm. or I'm not gonna check email or what, you know, it's putting the boundaries around work that is the hardest place, you know, and sometimes I don't do as well as others, but there are, there have definitely been ebb and flow in that since um, I became more aware of how much I needed to protect my sleep. Hmm. So, but I'm getting closer to that ideal all the time. And I, I think that's the whole thing with this journey in entirety, but especially with rest in our cultural setting, you just have to keep striving for, for what's best for you despite the messages we're getting. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. Do you have any tips, Angie, for people that are in your same boat um, for 
carving out that boundary, especially people that work for themselves, is becoming super common these days. Are there any strategies that you use to kind of keep yourself on track there? Yeah. So you mentioned earlier the phone zone, right? So my -hmm. husband and I plug our phones in downstairs in our living room. So they're a whole floor away from us overnight. And I don't even have like notification sounds or anything on mine. Once in a while, I'll hear his go off. But generally, we we definitely can't see the phones and we can't even hear them. You know, one thing that I try to do is to stop working consistently by 6 p.m., if not sooner. And that's, that's difficult sometimes, right? Especially for you and I, like we work in different time zones. So work is still going on for you. So I'm texting you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm like, what do you think of this? And you're just right. like, oh my God, I'm eating dinner. I had to be like, Mickey, no. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so trying to establish for yourself an end of your workday that's truly an end to your workday. I also think that it's really smart to try not to, like you said, try not to check emails and social media first thing when you get out of bed either, Mm -hmm. you know, so it's like it's not just before going to bed. It's also on the other end, having some good hygiene around um, electronic devices, you know, where where does that help you? Do you think, Angie, like what do you think that helps you achieve with sleep? Uh, I think it makes me in general calmer Mm -hmm. and more ready to receive the signals from my body for sleep. Mm -hmm. You know, it helps with melatonin production. Mm -hmm. Um, It just helps set the tone in general that Mm -hmm. there is a rhythm to the 24 hour cycle and part of that rhythm includes rest. Yeah. And waking up first thing and checking your email, it's like shocking to your system. It's like, whoa, I'm here. Yeah. You know, it's like you go from like the sleep zone into fully wide awake, like ready to hit the ground running, you know, Um, and learning to kind of tame that beast a little Hmm. bit is important, I think. Hmm. Cool. So we have some homework for our listeners. You guys can check out the sleep troubleshooting checklist in chapter four of our book to determine if you have looked at all the common underlying issues people have with sleep. If you're still struggling in these areas, it's time to dig in and explore. Hopefully that checklist will help you get started. Although sleep is one of our most instinctual biological processes, it can be unusually difficult to get it right when it comes to this. Every journey requires a few pit stops, moments of refueling and repair, and the autoimmune wellness journey is no exception. Giving priority to rest will bring with it many benefits. As Thomas Decker said, sleep is the golden chain that binds health and our bodies together. So on that note, wishing all of you some great sleep troubleshooting and pleasant dreams in the future. Take care and we will see you next time. Bye. Thanks for joining us on this episode of the Autoimmune Wellness Podcast. We're honored to have you as a listener, and we hope that you've gained some useful information. You can learn more about the topic we explored today. It's covered in detail in our book, The Autoimmune Wellness Handbook, along with handy self-assessments, checklists, and other useful resources to put your plan into action. Pick up a copy today. If you enjoyed the podcast, please leave us a review in iTunes, as this helps others find us. You can also connect with us through our blog, autoimmune-paleo.com, and with the community by using the hashtag autoimmunewellness.